Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 34. This is in the early days of Jesus' ministry. And as we begin, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this day that you have made. Lord, we thank you for your word which you've given to us. Now we ask that this morning you would help us to hear your word. Hear your word for us. God, that we would uh, know better who you are, who we are in you, and therefore how to live in this world today and in all the days to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark 1, 29-34. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Turning then to our New Testament reading, 2 Corinthians, uh, end of chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2, chapter 1, verse 23 through chapter 2, verse 4. Paul, writing in the church in Corinth, says, I call God as my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would share all, that you would all share my joy. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. This is the word of the Lord. Be to God. Anybody here like seeing magic tricks? Anybody? Yeah? I do. I don't have one to show you if that's what you thought, where you thought this was going. I do. I like seeing magic tricks uh, when I know that that's what is getting ready to happen. What I don't like is when somebody's just lying to me. And I don't think those are the same thing, Right? And the reason why they're not the same thing is because in one case, you know that the whole game here is you see if you can fool me and I'll see if I can catch you. And then in the magic trick thing, they fool you and you're like, oh man, that was good. You really fooled me there, right? If that's not the arrangement, if that's not the deal, then the deal seems to be otherwise. I want you to deal honestly with me. And then somebody tricks you? Well, you don't have that same, oh, you got me. That's good. You fooled me, do you? So you have a very different reaction. Um, one that eh, might include a short nose <laughs> as we get very quick to get angry when somebody uh, fools us, don't we? Anyway, we are going to look at uh, Genesis chapter 29 today. The title of the sermon is Deceived, and we are going to look at at Jacob as he has come 
from uh, home, and he has come a very long way to finally get to his extended family. And he makes it there, and we see what happens there. But let's not forget where this came from. Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. God had come to Abraham and said, it's going to be through you that all the peoples of the world will be blessed. And Abraham has his son Isaac, and then Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. And we had seen before that Esau was the older son, Jacob was the younger son, and then there was this moment that happened. Uh, There were several moments of Jacob kind of doing wrong by Esau, but the most recent one was when he kind of dresses up as his older brother and pretends to be his older brother so that his father will bless him instead of blessing his brother. When that happens, older brother, not real happy about that. So much so that he decides once dad dies, I'm going to kill him. So Jacob has to run away. So um, his mom says, Jacob, you got to get out of here. Uh, says to the Isaac, the dad, he needs to go find a wife somewhere else. That's what this will be about. And so he goes. And what we saw last week was that on this long journey uh, to hopefully extended family, hopefully to safety from his brother, he's alone. And he's out there on his own. And he knows he has just done wrong by his family. And that's why he's out there on his own. And so you have to wonder, is this the end? Is this the end of all those promises that God has made? Is this the end of the blessing that's going to come through Abraham's family? Is it, is it the end of Jacob himself? But it's in this moment when he lays down to sleep alone at night that God appears to him in a vision and confirms to him all these blessings and says, it is going to be through you that all these things happen. And so we saw last week that even though Jacob had been uh, messing up along the way, it wasn't because of Jacob and what he was doing that God was going to use him to bless the world, but it's kind of in spite of what Jacob was doing that God was still going to be faithful to his promises, faithful to his people, and continue to, uh, to be faithful to his promises even through Jacob. So that's where Jacob has just been, and now we pick up the story as he, well, comes to the land of the eastern peoples. Here we go. This is Genesis chapter 29, uh, verses 1 through 30. It says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it, because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob asked the shepherds, My brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, Do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, Is he well? Yes, he is, they said. And here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. 
When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, You are my own flesh and blood. I'm going to pause there for just a little bit and talk about what's going on here. Jacob has just arrived where he thought where he needed to go, where he was sent to go to find the people uh, that were part of his mom's family. And if you've been following along the story, this is not the first person to have made this journey. Do you remember several chapters ago? Somebody else did this. Who was that? It was the servant who was going to find a wife for Isaac, you know, Jacob's dad. And so he goes on this same journey, and he goes and has a very similar experience. And he finds this woman at a well, where then she comes and waters him and his camels. Remember that? And he is so just overcome with uh, thanksgiving to God for bringing him on this journey this long journey to the right place and to have found the right people. And we see the same thing. And in fact, when, when this happens, you go back and tell Laban, who is, uh, get my people straight, Rebecca's brother, and he comes running out to meet this guy. Well, now Laban is the dad of Rachel. We have Rachel meeting Jacob at the well, he waters her and her flocks. <laughs> and then they go back and tell Laban, who runs out to meet this guy. The same Laban, by the way. Once he's running out to meet somebody who's coming for his sister. Another time he's running to meet the, someone who's coming out for his daughter. But we're supposed to see these two stories together. That God is continuing to be faithful to his people and continuing to bring them on this journey and uh, match them up with the people that they're supposed to be matched up with. Then the story kind of takes a turn. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? 
Laban replied, That's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also, in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Whew. Boy, this story took a turn, didn't it? We were going right along, and we saw the way that God had uh, brought Jacob to this place. And then we see this weird, deceptive act where they make a deal. Jacob and his future father-in-law, his current uncle, there are historical reasons for that kind of thing. No, don't do that today. And in this situation, they make this deal. And uh, the deal is, Jacob's going to work for seven years, and that what he's going to get paid... (laughs) He gets to marry Rachel, the younger daughter. That's the deal. And then he keeps up his end of the deal. He works for seven years. And the time comes, and okay, now here we go, wedding time. And then somehow Laban makes the switch and gives his older daughter Leah in marriage instead. And we say, now, how how did Jacob not notice this? You would think, right, after he's been pining for the same woman for seven years, he might notice if it's not her. Well, no. It does say when evening came, so there may be an element of, you know, just the darkness. She may have been heavily veiled. He may have been heavily under the influence. We don't know. But this is, uh, it would have been quite a festive time, and I know... (laughs) Plenty of time before the wedding that we see Jesus attending, but there, plenty of alcohol involved. That could have been the case here as well. For whatever reason, Jacob seems to not notice until the the morning light. And when he notices, doesn't seem to be real happy about this. This was not the deal. The whole... The whole way it was supposed to go is we're going to deal honestly with each other. I kept up my end of the bargain. You didn't. What gives? And yet, you notice it doesn't seem like Jacob's anger lasts a real long time. I find this odd. I do. I find this a little bit odd that he's really mad about this for about that long. And then Laban's like, oh, well, you know, it's not our custom. Here, I'll tell you what, I'll give you Rachel too. All you have to do is work another seven years. Who here is going to respond, okay? Right? No, you're like already on the phone to your lawyer, aren't you? (laughs) This is not okay. This is not how it's supposed to be. We had a contract. No, I'm not working another seven years. And instead, Jacob says, all right. So he did it. He works another seven years. What? (laughs) But I think there is something going on here that gets back to um, some of what we saw in this this video a little bit ago of God giving people what they want. 
Here's what I mean by this. This is not the first time that we've seen a deception with a swapping out of siblings, is it? We're supposed to see these two stories together too. You know, the one where Jacob pretended to be his brother to get the blessing. And now the same thing has just happened to him. Where he got the wrong sibling. This time it's older for younger instead of younger for older. But it's that same deception. The same lie. And I think he recognizes it. And I think what's going on here is that when Jacob chooses to deceive his father, he's basically, is not just saying, I want to get the blessing. He's also implicitly saying, I want to live in a world of deception. Do you see that? I want to live in a world where it's okay to do this to people. But he thinks he's going to be on the doing it to other people side of it. But if you live in that kind of world, you're not always the one on that end of the, uh, of the arrangement. And so sure enough, God gives him what he wants. And he gets to live in a world where people are deceiving each other just like this, just like he did. Only now he's on the receiving end. And maybe, maybe that's the kind of thing that will help wake him up to the way of God in the world, not the way of Jacob in the world. To say, maybe, maybe that's not the kind of world I want to live in after all. I don't know. This, uh, we're going to see a lot more from Jacob And he is certainly a work in progress. (laughs) He doesn't seem to have gotten everything right in the stories we have seen thus far. And and there will be more of that to come. And even in where we're ending with him today, it ends with him marrying two different women. Is that going to cause problems? Come back next week. That's going to cause problems. This is one of the things we see uh, with polygamy throughout the Bible. Sometimes our <laughs> former neighbors to the north used to argue that you know the polygamy is a good thing, marrying more than one woman, because, hey, they did it in the Bible. Please, oh, please, don't copy everything they did in the Bible. <laughs> a lot of the things that are uh, done are recorded for us to learn not to do those things. And this is one of them. And so you will see as we go through the problems that come from this. And yeah, they start as early as next week in uh, the end of chapter 29. But you even see the hint of it in what we just read in verse 30 when it says, Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah. Hmm. Wonder if that might cause any problems. Of course it is. But here's, here's the question for us. Is what does this have to do with us? Has anybody here in the past week been tempted to swap out one of your children for somebody else in an arranged marriage situation? Anybody? No. That's probably not what you're going to face this next week either. But there are 
I think, several things that this has to do with us. And, um, and the first one is just this. It's just what we were talking about with the kind of world that Jacob was choosing to live in, that he was wanting to live in a world of deception, and then he got to. Then like it when it's done to him. This is, uh, should be familiar kind of language. This is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, when he says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. But this sums up the law and the prophets. Now think about that. Did Jacob do to Isaac what he wanted done to him? Clearly not. Because when it was done to him, he didn't like it. We don't realize that this is the choice that we're making when we are uh, deciding how we want to treat people, how we want to talk to people, or how we want to talk about people. That is the choice we're making. And this is why Jesus puts it the way he does, of do to others what you would have them do to you. Right? Another way that this gets put is love your neighbor as yourself. This is one of the great two commandments, right? Jesus gets asked, what is the greatest commandment? Of Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's that same kind of language. Do to them what you would want done to you. But I think there's another uh, aspect of this where it relates to us. And this is uh, just in the, in the image of a wedding itself. We continually see people meeting uh, their spouse at a well, right? This is a bizarre thing, but it just keeps happening. And it's not the last time. We'll see Moses do the same thing. But this is, uh, this is one of those things we see happening. Somebody meets their future spouse or spouse they're looking for for someone else at a well. And then we look all the way forward to the New Testament, and we see Jesus meeting someone at a well. Does he marry her? This is a trick question. Because no, he does not marry her in the typical sense, the way we think about that. However, do you remember that the church itself is referred to as the bride of Christ? And that what we are looking forward to one day is uh, the marriage between Jesus and the church, that that union between the two. And so when we look at even every wedding, this is what we're thinking about. So when we look at Jacob marrying the wrong person instead of who he thought he was marrying, I want us to think about that in terms of the relationship between Jesus and the church. How many times do we feel the need to dress ourselves up into somebody that we're not because we think otherwise Jesus wouldn't love us. He wouldn't marry us. I have some news for you. Jesus is better than Jacob. And Jesus does love his church, so much so that he would give his life for her. Paul says he does so to make her holy. That we are supposed to be in this process of being made better than we are now, but made holy in Jesus. 
as we look forward to one day being united to him completely. This is, uh, this is what we see throughout the New Testament. Uh, you see some really interesting language when you get to the end of the book of Revelation. That this is where this is heading. But for those of you who right now are sitting in here and thinking, that is nice, but I'm pretty sure he's talking to everybody else in this room except me. So you look around and you go, yeah, I get why Jesus would love them, not me. I want you to take another look around. Take another look around the room at everybody sitting in here. The person up front speaking. We are all messed up. We all have a list a mile long as the reasons why Jesus might not want to love us. But the assurance that we have is that he does love us. And it's the same kind of thing as when uh, God continues to be faithful to his promises to Jacob, even though he doesn't deserve it, because God is faithful. And we said that he is um, faithful to his promises, not because of what Jacob was doing, but in spite of what Jacob was doing. The same thing is true with us. That Jesus doesn't love us because we have earned it or deserved it. He loves us in spite of all the reasons we have for him maybe not to love us. We're all messed up. And for those of you who are sitting in here thinking, now I'm talking to everybody but you. You're like, no, no, I, I get why other people would need to hear this, but I know I'm, I'm good, I'm good. I've got some parables of Jesus I'll share with you later. Um, <laughs> But this is the message, that there is this union between us, the people of God, and Jesus himself, that, he, uh, that we do have this arranged marriage, and we don't have to put on uh, anything to disguise ourselves. What we need to do is say yes and to put on what he has provided for us, the righteousness that comes from him, and then to move forward with confidence as uh, the people who are being prepared as his bride, the bride who is very much loved by him, so much so that he gave his life. If we will actually internalize this message, we will continue to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. We will continue to grow in our love for God and for our neighbors. We will continue to increase the way in which we do treat others the way that we would want to be treated, to do for them what we would want done for us, to continue to choose to live in a world that looks like the world Jesus has for us and for all of creation. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.